Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this past week we were blessed to celebrate the 4th of July, and uh, it's a wonderful day, probably a great time uh, for you with family, friends, and uh, a, a wonderful day to just celebrate our independence. Last Sunday, as we were approaching the 4th, uh, we sang a lot of uh, wonderful hymns, patriotic hymns, and also talked about, as the sermon topic, freedom. Now, over the course of the past week, the combination being what I preached about last Sunday and also what we celebrated this week, as I was thinking about the sermon today, my mind got around this whole notion and idea of freedom. And one of the freedoms that I thought about as I reflected on this scripture is the freedom of speech. Now think about it, how many times we hear in our culture, we see in our culture, this whole notion and idea and assertion of freedom of speech, that people have the freedom to say whatever they want to say. And some of the things that they say isn't really all that great or helpful. You ever thought about that? People assert, I want to have this freedom. I want to be able to say anything I want to say. Publish anything I want to publish. And it's okay because I have freedom of speech. Now the question is, in the midst of that mindset, in the midst of a culture like that, what do we as Christians do with our freedom of speech? Do we really exercise our freedom of speech to talk with people about the gospel, about Jesus Christ, about the Christian faith and life? See, because in our culture, it's not popular to do so. And so oftentimes people try to stifle us when we exercise our freedom of speech in talking about Jesus Christ, in talking about the gospel. One of the things you don't talk about in our culture is religion, right? Well, where does that come from? If we have freedom of speech, we should be able to talk about it. And if we really consider seriously the gospel of Jesus Christ and how he lived and what he did and what he said to his disciples and apostles, we should take that opportunity to use our freedom of speech to proclaim the gospel and talk about Jesus Christ in our culture to other people. Now, when you're pondering that, I want you to think about something else. And that's the whole notion and idea of mission. Because if you were to look in your pew Bibles, the pew Bibles love to put topics over sections of Scripture. And, this, and the topic over this particular section of Scripture is the mission of the 70. The 70 disciples that Jesus sent out on this mission. And I know many people in the church, when they think about the word mission, they think about foreign mission. You know, we send those people out there into the mission field. When in fact, mission is something that's pervasive in the church. That Jesus commissioned the church, all the disciples, to go out and share the gospel. 
to go out and proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand just as he did. If you look at Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples. Not just a foreign mission, but here. And Acts chapter 1, go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Beginning here. That we start here and we spread out to the world. Next week we will be commissioning a group that's going to Tanzania and a group of students and youth leaders that are going to Honduras. And we will be sending them out on a mission trip. But the mission begins here. Each of us, with our friends, with our neighbors, with our families, as we seek to spread the gospel from here outward. And we're all called into that mission to share that mission. If you were to look in your bulletin, you would see that we have what we call our focus here at St. Luke's. And it's actually our vision for who we are as a church and what we want to be as a church. You know, vision statements were very popular when I arrived 20 plus years ago. And so we developed this vision statement that we call our focus. But underneath that, we talked about what is our mission overall? What is the mission of the church? And many churches share this notion, this phrase, in terms of what their mission is. And what we stated at that time, our mission is, is to know Jesus Christ and to make Him known. That we as a church are called to be in relationship and grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That He's our Savior, He's our Lord, we want to follow Him, we want to know His Word, we want to worship Him, we want to share His ministry together and with other people. But then we make Him known to other people too. We don't keep it to ourselves. That's the mission that undergirds, that's behind, that's essential to what it is our vision is. And we're all to share in that mission. And that's exactly what Jesus did with this 70. Early in His ministry... As he was beginning to preach and teach, as he was beginning to reach out with the gospel, and he had called his twelve together, then eventually he called these seventy to go out and share in his work. Now, I'm sure some of you are sitting there right now and saying, that's not me. Or that's for you, Greg. You're the professional. And you might even begin to think that the apostles, there. The professionals. But see, what this passage begins to show us is the mission of the church and going out and proclaiming the gospel and sharing his ministry to the world and spreading the kingdom of God isn't just for the professionals. It's not just for the clergy. It's for all disciples. And he doesn't say in this list, well, you know what? If you're an introvert, you don't have to worry about it. This is only for extroverts. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you know what, if you're young, you're good to go out there, but if you're older, don't worry about it. You can just sit on your laurels. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say whether you're employed or whether you're retired, whether you're a man or you're a woman, or if you're single or you're married. He doesn't qualify it in that way. What he says is this is for a disciple. 
If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, yes, you have certain gifts. But the flip side of that is we are all called to share in this gospel ministry of spreading the kingdom. All of us. And that's what this 70, the calling of the 70, demonstrates. You know, it's interesting. When I, when I came to the Lord and seriously gave my life to the Lord at 15 years old, I have always understood sharing the gospel and spreading the kingdom of God as a part of my life. That's over 40 years ago. It's not just when I got ordained. It was long before I got ordained. And that has been a, been, a, been a part of my life and ministry since I was a committed Christian. And really, if you read the Word of God and you understand the Word of God, that's what we're all meant to be. Committed to this gospel ministry of reaching out in the name of Jesus and bringing people to faith in Jesus Christ. Think about the life of Jesus for a moment moment because we always like to say you know we want to be Christ-like as Christians well if you think about the life of Jesus the first time we run into him after the Christmas story is when he's 12 years old and at 12 years old what is what is he doing he's preaching and teaching at the temple right and then not long after that when he comes to his public ministry about the age of 30 plus or minus what's he doing he goes out proclaiming the kingdom of God he's preaching and teaching so when we think about being Christ-like and being a part of His kingdom, that we ourselves have experienced the gospel, then it's the call on our lives to be a part of this gospel ministry and share the gospel. Now, with that in mind, let's think about and reflect on some of the things that Jesus says. The first thing He says is, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Well, there's a good motivator right off the bat. Now think about this whole notion and idea of being a lamb, being a sheep. What we understand is that Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the one that leads us and guides us. We need to listen for his voice. We need to listen to his voice. We need to know his word as we grow in this gospel and this gospel ministry. That Jesus is the good shepherd. And as the good shepherd... We need to trust Him. If you look at, for example, John 10, where He tells us He's the Good Shepherd, He tells us what that means. And then you think about Psalm 23, where it talks about the Lord is my shepherd. What we see this shepherd doing for us is helping us because we need help. We are helpless as sheep. And so He provides our food and our water, our food being the Word of God. The water being the Holy Spirit that fills us. We see Him providing our protection and our shelter. His rod and His staff, they comfort me, they protect me. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's my shelter. So when we go out as His sheep, we need to be with the shepherd. We need to be following the shepherd and allow Him to take care of us. That's one aspect of being a lamb. Another one is that we're innocent. You know, we always have this mindset that sheep are really cute and cuddly and innocent. 
But let me tell you what the innocence of a lamb is meant to be like, where we are pure as Jesus is pure. That we are holy and seek to be holy because He is holy. That we are gentle because He is gentle. And that's one of the fruit of the Spirit. That when you begin to think of sheep as pure, that what is meant to happen is our life and our disposition as we share the gospel is meant to not compromise the gospel because of the way we come across the people. Because our, wit- our witness is weak. The gospel doesn't appear real in our lives. And see, So he calls us to be innocent as sheep. And we are lambs amidst the wolves. It means when you go out there, it's not always going to be safe. Over and over again, Jesus never hid this fact. That he himself was going to be persecuted. And the world isn't always going to be favorable towards us. That he is realistic and honest about the picture he paints. And he wants us to be aware right from the beginning when we go out there so we don't have any false expectations. Everybody's going to love you. Everybody's going to think you're wonderful. It's not that way. So he says, I send you out as lambs amongst wolves. Not everybody's going to gravitate to you want to listen to your message. But he says in the midst of that, I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to protect you. I'm sending you with my spirit and with my authority. And oh, by the way, you don't need to take a purse. You don't need to take a bag. Because I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. You'll be okay. And so we go out as his sheep under the shepherd, Jesus Christ. Secondly, when we go out... We are going out to offer peace. We're going out to offer peace. Isn't that what he says? Peace rests on this house. I don't know how many of you like the movie Braveheart. I love the movie Braveheart. I like the music too, by the way. But the movie Braveheart, there's one scene in it where William Wallace is leaving the company of his friends. And one of them says to him, where are you going? And he says at that point, he says, I'm going to pick a fight. Okay? When we go out to share the gospel, we're not going to pick a fight. That's not why you're going out. You're not going out defensive. You're not going out to cause conflict, though conflict may happen. You're going out to offer the gift of peace from the Prince of Peace. But you can't control people's reaction to you or to the Gospel. Did you catch it? They're not going to reject you. They're going to reject me. You can't control people's response. Just because someone is offered a peace treaty doesn't mean they're going to accept the peace. But that's what we are called to do. That's the mindset that we're meant to have when we go out. We're going out in the name of the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, and we're offering the Gospel of Peace. You know that phrase, Gospel of Peace? Do you know where it shows up in the Scripture, or at least one place it shows up? Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't know Ephesians chapter 6 well, go home and read it. Ephesians chapter 6 is that section of Scripture that talks about spiritual warfare, and we have to have the whole armor of God on us. Isn't it interesting that in the midst of talking about the whole armor of God and being in spiritual warfare, that you see this phrase, gospel of peace. It's because 
throughout the scriptures, God wants us to be aware of we are in a spiritual battleground. That Satan doesn't want us out there sharing the gospel. That there are people out there that aren't going to accept the gospel that we proclaim. And so we have to be fully protected by him because it's a spiritual battle. But the mindset that we go out is we are going out to offer the gospel of peace. And do not cause conflict or hurt feelings for the wrong reasons. Did you catch that in the midst of this? That, that Jesus says, when you go into a village, when you go into a town, and someone invites you to stay with them, that you accept their hospitality and you accept their food. So the first thing he's saying is, that's your provision. I told you I'd provide for you, that's your provision. But the next thing he says is, if someone asks you to go to a different house, don't go there, don't move there. Why is he saying that? Let me paint the picture for you. Someone comes to my home. I invite them here, I invite them to preach. And then someone who has a really nice, big house who serves really good food and really good wine, says, hey, you don't have to stay at the Kronzes. You can come and live with us. That could cause hurt feelings. And so Jesus is saying, don't hurt people's feelings. Don't cause conflict for the wrong reason. Be content with what you've been given. Because the real reason you're there is to share the gospel. That's the real reason you're there. You're not there for self-promotion. You're not there to get the perks. The perks sometimes come. But if people begin to confuse your motive, you're going to compromise the gospel. You're going to cause hurt feelings and conflict for the wrong reason. The only reason, if you go into a town that people should reject you, is because you are sharing the gospel and they're rejecting me. Understand that. That's why Jesus weaves this little discussion in about not moving to another house. That if people reject you and don't want the peace you offer, it's not because you've done anything to compromise the gospel. And then what does it say in a situation like that? It says, shake the dust off your shoes and move on. And then he throws this phrase in. It will be more tolerable for Sodom than in that day. What's he saying there? What's he saying there? You know, the Jews that heard Jesus say that, I mean, their immediate reaction would be, are you kidding me? Those Sodom, those Sodomites, those people were so evil. That was such an evil town. You know, most people that these disciples, as they go out to preach, to share the gospel with, would be thinking to themselves, what are you talking about? I'm a nice person. I'm a good person. Because that's where most people think they are. That we couldn't possibly be anything like that evil group of people, the people from Sodom. And you know, the reality is that Jesus is basically saying, what they are in potential danger of experiencing is far worse than what the people of Sodom experienced. 
Because what Jesus is trying to send the disciples out to do is to save people from hell. Eternal separation from God. Jesus is saying, take this seriously. Take this seriously. Because those who don't know Jesus, those who walk a a life apart from faith, are in danger of hell. And we don't take that seriously enough. And that's why Jesus is saying, warn them. Warn them. You're not being judgmental as the world loves to say you are when you warn people. We warn people all the time, don't we? Don't we see warnings all the time and we think it's a good thing? For example, don't drink and drive. We think that's a good thing. It's a good warning. Because something might happen to you. You know what's more popular today? Don't text and drive. Right? It's a warning. Because we don't want anything bad to happen to you. What Jesus is saying, there's something worse than being in a car accident. The worst thing that can happen is for you to be separated from God for all eternity. That's what he's saying. And that's why we give this warning, because we care about people. There is judgment. Jesus would say, don't fear him who can kill the body. In other words, our bodies being hurt is a bad thing. But fear him who can kill body and soul. In other words, there's a proper order here. There's an eternal perspective here. And we don't want you to face judgment. And so you need to have a proper perspective before God. He loves you. He wants you to be in relationship with Him. He wants you to know Him. He wants you to live by faith. But what you risk if you choose not to live in relationship with Him is far worse. Scripture also talks about the fear of God being the beginning of wisdom. Why? Because if we understand that God can send us to hell if we choose to live apart from Him. That we understand that this fear is proper. And then we move from fear into a relationship with Him because it brings us to faith. And then we move from this relationship with Him to a deeper knowledge and love of Him. And we move into this wisdom. The ordering of our lives. And that's why Scripture over and over again talks about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We see that in Job. We see that in Psalms. We see that in Proverbs. And that's why Jesus talks about don't fear Him who can kill the body. Fear Him who can kill the body and the soul. Get a proper perspective. Help people to understand a proper perspective because eternity is at stake. That's why these 70 disciples, when they went out, they took the call on their lives seriously. They didn't have all the answers. They had not been walking with Jesus a long time. The reality is they came to faith. They had given their lives over to Jesus. They had begun to follow Him. And then He said, okay, you've seen me preach, teach, and bring healing to people's lives. You've seen what this ministry looks like, and now I want to send you out. I want you to experience this for yourself. I want you to be a part of my kingdom building now, so this kingdom can spread. 
Do you know what the end result is? Did you look at the last paragraph? What's the end result of that? They experience joy, right? What does it say? They came back and they were joyful. And Jesus was joyful. See, because that's what God wants us to experience. When He uses us, when we know, when we know we've been a part of changing someone's eternal destination, that they've come to salvation, that their life has been changed for all eternity, we experience joy. When we see God use us to touch lives, we experience a joy that we may not never know otherwise. That's the joy that He wants us to experience. That's the joy that He wants us to share with Him. Understand, this is not because, oh, it's just such a pain and it's such a burden and I feel so insecure and I'm so fearful and I'm so anxious. That's not it. I guarantee you, when Jesus called these 70 people together and He said, I'm going to send you out and this is what's going to happen to you, I'll bet not every one of them was standing there saying, yeah, I can't wait, what a great thing. I don't think that was the case. You know what I think you had in that group was a mixed bag. That's what I think you had. I think you had people there saying, I'm not so sure about this. And I think you had people there saying, geez, I wonder what I'm going to experience when I go out there. You know what? Just like you. Just like you. Because there are people here right now that are saying, this is not for me. I'm not so sure about this. This makes me a little anxious. I'm a little nervous. I don't know that I want to go out there and be rejected. I'm really not equipped. I don't have all the answers. You know what? That's not it. That's not it. And those 70 were probably a mixed bag. They went out because he called them to go out. They went out because he had a call on their lives. And because they understood the nature of discipleship. They went out because they were faithful in their response to him. And that's what he calls us to because he wants us to experience joy. Understand. And he sent them out two by two. Did you catch that too? He sent them out two by two. Why would he send them out two by two? I think there's a variety of reasons for that too. I think it's for mutual encouragement. When you go out two by two, you can encourage each other. You know what? I hate playing golf by myself. Because I like people to say, hey, Greg, nice shot. (laughs) Might not happen often. But that's what I like. I like to share things with people so that we can encourage each other. I guarantee you, when I go out to play golf, I need someone to pray for me. And that's why we pray for each other when we're going out doing ministry. That if one is doing ministry, the other one's praying and vice versa. Two of us will have more gifts together. Two of us will have more ability to work together. There's so much more to offer when there's two of us sharing the gospel together. That's why when we go out on a mission trip, not only does not just one person go out by themselves, but there's always a team of people that go. Because we want to be mutually encouraging. We want to pray with and for each other. That's why actually back here before we go, we ask for a prayer partner. Because we want someone to be in prayer with us. This is not being alone. 
This is being a part of a team. And we as the church, the body of Christ, are meant to be part of a team that reaches out for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus Christ, for the sake of those people who don't know him yet. And bring this peace into their lives and bring God's love into their lives. That's what he calls us to. That's reaching out with the gospel. That's what he wants us to experience, this joy. And he wants other people to know him. We're not going out with our own strength. If we go out in our own strength, it will run out. We're not going out under our own authority. If we go under our own authority, we'll make some pretty bad decisions. We're going out with Him, under His authority, with His will, with the power of His Holy Spirit, and with the body of Christ supporting us. And we are called to share in His mission. And the question is, are you? Do you understand, if you call yourself a disciple, that you are to be just like these 70? And do you understand you are meant to be a part of the mission to reach the world with God's love through Jesus Christ? It's why He came in the first place. It's why He went to the cross and laid down His life. And it's what we are meant to share with Him and with each other. And the question is, will you be a part of His mission? Please bow with me in prayer. Lord Jesus, you said you said that our first joy is that our names are written that our names are written that we have this salvation that's our first joy our primary joy but Lord, you also want us to share in your joy as you prayed in that upper room Your love and your peace.
is so conflicted, it's so confused. Lord, empower us with your spirit. And cause us to share your mission as the seven we did. To be your disciples, making disciples. Knowing you and making you known. And we pray this in your precious